Welcome to Bootstrappers, a program designed to bring you up-to-the-minute ideas and concepts to understand what it takes to succeed in business and life. Each week, we'll bring you guests and ideas you can't find anywhere else. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. Now let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy Aspen. This is Gwen Aspen. I'm president of Wistar Group in Omaha, and Gwen is the president of Anaquim LLC in Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Uh, here at Bootstrappers, we discuss issues that affect the lives of stakeholders in business. That can be the owner, that can be the employees, that can be the uh, managers, it can be shareholders for that matter. Um, but we talk about relevant information. Uh, we try to get down to takeaways uh, for, for our listeners and viewers. Today, we're going to be talking about employment, about hiring the right people, the right seat. Um, and we have a guest here in the show. Uh, her name is Dr. Uh, Krista Peterson. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and uh, an executive advisor with the Cultural Index. Um, uh, hiring is just such an important part of what we do. Oh my God. It's, and it's so hard. It's, it's so hard. It really defines the track that your company will go on, especially when you're first starting out. Um, and just so everyone knows, this is Anaquim, one of our companies, is a talent procurement company. It's kind of like a PEO. So, a uh, 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 right. It's a professional <laughs> employer organization. Uh, so we, and we've got about 400 employees at the time, uh, currently, and we use a tool called Culture Index. And so at the risk of sounding like this interview is going to be an, an advertisement, it's not. Uh, it's just that we've been through this with several different methodologies and, and products, services. Uh, and this is the one we've landed on, we've been using. Yeah, I would just say, I mean, we've been hiring people for so long. And, you know, at the beginning, I think we made a lot of hiring errors. And so as I was dealing with someone leaving and it being all emotional and dramatic, I was reflecting on the hire and I thought, oh, we need something that's more data-driven, more scientific in order to make good hires. Um, and so I was really digging into what, what kind of diagnostic tests can we have uh, that people take on the front end that will help us hire more successfully, which is how we got to the culture index. But, you know, my, my depression with having to go through people that don't work out uh, led me to look at some research on, on hiring. And it turns out that only 19% of new hires are considered fully successful according to frequently cited study. And by the 18th month, point of anyone's employment, 46% are deemed a failure. And that was in the Harvard Business Review. That's it. And that's expensive as hell. Well, and they say that a bad hire costs most companies 30% of that employee's first year's earnings. So, and there are other costs. I mean, there's like the obvious costs of benefits and the salary that you wasted on the person and training them. But what about the psychological costs of your people having to pick up the slack or fix their errors and talk to maybe angry clients because they did things wrong? Um, so if you're a hiring manager, I mean, that's a number you take with you. You try to, I mean, because it's always hard when you're about ready to hire somebody, 
you don't want to do it. You don't want to put out the resume. You don't want to start the interview process. Um, but consider that to, to not do it right, it could be a, it's it's so 30 percent. And it could also lose you clients. Like if you have a new person that's not a good fit, um, I mean, there's a cost of losing clients because of their mistakes so, and your reputation. So there are a lot of costs that people don't even consider. And that's why hiring is so important and why maybe using a diagnostic tool is important. And let's make sure that we expand this to not include, I'm going to take off my shirt. It's getting warm. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, PM <laughs> health. Um, it's not hashtag PM health. It's not... Um, it's not just for hiring, right? No, so it's not. one thing we've when when we're especially as we're growing, people are um, growing in ranks and with the company, and things start to kind of wobble a little bit. And so part of understanding, you know, what the what the position is that you're looking for is trying to figure out if they're going to be a match with the manager. And that's and and that changes over the course of time. You can have a perfectly good manager in one spot for for all for years, and then things start to change. And you need to be able to identify that. So um, one other thing I just want to bring up um, to help the listeners out is there is a lot of research on what interview techniques really work and help people find the best matches. And one of my favorite organizational psychologists is Adam Grant. He has a number of books out. Um, he has uh, a good newsletter. He's at the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania. But he suggests that we should conduct interviews with standard interview questions for a particular role. So, and the questions should be behavioral based or what if questions about situations that they could encounter in that role. And he says that when you use a standard format with thoughtful questions, then you're two to three times more likely to make an, a, a good hiring decision. So I think that having a standard interviewing process in addition to using a diagnostic tool that helps you identify whether someone really is detail-oriented, for example. Many of the roles that we hire for require detail orientation. And anybody in an interview, if you ask, so are you detail oriented? Yeah, I can. Yep. Oh, Most people are going to say yes, but that if there's one problem I've got is that I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm too detail oriented. <laughs> so people yeah. can okay. lie in the interviews. <laughs> they can uh, put their best foot forward. And then, you know, after time goes on and they're really in the role, you realize that they really don't have any detail orientation and it really is Im uh, impacting not only their role, but the organization's success. So um, what we're going to delve uh, into is how do we make sure to hire the right people, um, uh, to know when someone is not working out, be able to identify that there are leading indicators, um, how to know when the organization has changed so much that someone doesn't fit in it anymore. That's the, oh, that's one that, of the toughest those are ones. Super we've, hard. we've had that happen. And, uh, and I may have mentioned on the show before, but I had uh, just uh, hired somebody to their highest level of incompetence. And they uh, came up to me about two weeks later and say that I had set them up for failure. And in, in a sense, I did. They'd asked for it. It's exactly the job that they wanted. 
but they were the type of person that needed everything to be laid out for them so that they could execute. The position was one that needed some creativity. They needed to redesign things and they needed to implement those. It, it, gone. It, it didn't work it out. It work. lost one of our best employees um, at the entry level or, you know, he'd been with us for years. We lost him just because they, he was put in a position where he really couldn't succeed. He or she. Well, and then another example of this would be when Chris Mangan came on the show and we asked him what his biggest boneheaded move was. And he said that he had a legacy employee and he just so desperately wanted this person to have a leadership personality because he just adored him. He was like family to him. And then he put him in that leadership position and it didn't work out. And he even suggested that it truly impacted the long-term growth of his company. So putting someone in the wrong seat, wrong position, or putting the wrong person in the wrong position can have a long-term impact on the growth and sustainability of your business. Yeah. So this is pretty important stuff. Yeah, if you think about, especially if you're if you're, you've been in business for a little while, just think of all the opportunities you had to make bad mistakes. If you make those, it's like compound interest again. If you make those mistakes at the front end, you're doomed. You're either, it's a lot harder to get back on your feet because those, those um, um, burgeoning years, the ones where you've got all the energy and you've got the time, you might not have kids yet, you're out on your own. Um, those, those years can be wasted when you're just hiring for your first time or when you're trying, when you're hiring and putting them under somebody that has a key role in the company, don't want to screw that up. And so I know the using a diagnostic tool, they cost money and small businesses are always cost conscious, especially at the front end. But I would argue after using a diagnostic tool for quite some time now, it's some of the best money spent because it prevents you from making these huge mistakes and the emotional turmoil of dealing with somebody who is in the wrong seat. And, you know, we're hiring, let's say about 400 people, right? So the cost is, is a big number, but um, in, in a real way, but even if you're a small company, this sort of an anal analytics tool, I think is, does come across as expensive, but if, and, and I don't want to sound like an advertisement. I'm just trying to make the business case that um, if you can have a more precise tool that'll help you avoid- Your own biases. Too. Your own biases, for sure. And to avoid that only 19% of new hires uh, would con are considered fully successful or that 46% after a year or whatever are considered a failure. If you can avoid that, um, it, it, it's you can't avoid you it. I guess that's the point. And you got to bite the bullet. Like a lot of the things we've talked about on the show, biting the bullet at the front end, it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah, software is a big deal too. Um, as promised, we told you we'd be talking to someone smarter than us today about the topic of- Well, she is a doctor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So <laughs> she's a doctor. We're going to talk to someone smarter uh, than us when it comes to hiring. We've, been, we've made all the mistakes. Uh, I will say that now we've kind of got this thing dialed in. Um, in part um, because of Culture Index, which is uh, something if you're an EO, you already probably understand to some extent. Um, and uh, so Dr. Krista Peterson, she is a licensed clinical, clinical uh, psychologist, um, works uh, on growth, earnings, and sustained scalability. That's, uh, I think, what 
they keep in mind when they're helping business owners and executive teams uh, come up with uh, the best hiring. So, welcome, uh, Dr. Krista. Did I start with Dr. Krista every time or can I have permission to call you? You can just call me Krista. Thank you. Great. Um, so welcome to the show. Thanks a million. Appreciate you being here. We've been using uh, Culture Index, which is the, the connection here, for oh, a couple of years. years now. Three years? I think so. Okay. Three years. And I will say it is, it is great. So we needed to get, dig down a little bit into what it is um, and what, what makes it different. When I was growing up, uh, coming up, I should say, in corporate America, we had Myers-Briggs. Um, Myers-Briggs was super interesting. I, I loved when they read it back and you're an ENTJ and you're gonna, you're a, that means you're smart and that means you're outgoing and it means that you can get people to follow you, whatever. Um, but there was no practical application. It, I mean, so you went into a job interview and you said, I'm an ENTP, whatever. Uh, didn't really do much. Um, but with Culture Index, can you tell us a little bit about Culture Index? That's probably the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, what do you want to know specifically? So, so we, I understand um, you used to, you've used Myers-Briggs before. Um, Myers-Briggs has been around a really long time. Um, I, I mean, and it's actually useful uh, when it comes to team building. But we, Culture Index is different in that um, we work more uh, with business owners to help them make better decisions about their people using data and science. Yeah, so that's my experience with Culture Index is that it was more actionable than Way knowing more. your uh, Myers-Briggs or whatever um, because you could tell, I, I, I don't know, the way that you framed it, and maybe we should ask you this, what qualities are you looking at when you're doing your diagnostic test for personality? So uh, at Culture Index, we're measuring seven work-related traits um, and looking at, at the constellation of the traits to get a good uh, whole picture of who the person is. Um, and, and based on that information, we can make predictions about behaviors and whether or not they're going to be a fit for whatever role you're hiring for. Um, in addition to that, not just on the hiring side, but we do focus a lot on, you know, how do you manage these, these types of people um, based on their own unique needs? So, you know, how do you communicate with them? How do you reward them? Um, can you promote them? How, mm -hmm. you know, how far can you promote them? Um, there's lots of different things that you can use the data for, not just on the hiring side. Right. And when you're trying to find a good fit, what I find interesting, and I guess I'm going back to the hiring side, but I know there are other applications as well that we use um, in our business. But I like that you start with the job description first and then try to find the personality that fits that. It seems like with some of the other more amorphous uh, personality trait typifiers, I don't know, what are they called? Typifiers? Typifiers. <laughs> they, that they just, they just say, oh, well, we're looking for someone outgoing, but it's not, it, it doesn't give you a full profile of what you're looking for. Do you feel like that's part of the success of Culture Index is that you start with a job description and then really dig down to what types of people you need for that role? 
Yes. So we're not prescriptive with it. And it's, it's, it's not one size fits all. So it really depends on what the organize, organization needs at that time. So we have a, what we call a position analysis questionnaire or a C job where you would go in and, and, and complete the questionnaire that then generates a constellation like we talked about earlier that, that really defines what you need for that role um, in order for that person to perform. So it really starts with, with what's required to be successful in the role and then what kind of, you know, so what kind of person that requires and then you go out and you, you go and recruit for that person. So what are the, so what, uh, I want to, managers make mistakes. I don't know if anybody knows that, but managers make mistakes. When you're hiring somebody or when you're, it's not even when you do, what are the mistakes that managers make when they're hiring somebody? I mean, I, I've got my own ideas and I can pull back from my catalog of errors, um, what we did, but do you see any sort of a trend? Like what the, what is the, what does the human mind um, do as a natural consequence of just being human when they're trying to hire people and screw it up? Um, what I see most often is that people resort to this, the classic, do I like them? Um, mm -hmm. Are they going to fit with our culture, with our team? Are they going to get along with people? And so it always is, is this, do I like them or this, this gut feeling? Um, and then they make decisions from there. But how objective is this, do I like them? So, uh, yeah, well, and then going with the gut feeling, you, you kind of get into a little bit of trouble potentially legally also, right? Because uh, um, it ha <laughs> if, you, you can, if you're going with your gut feeling, you might take into some other things like, uh, I don't know, race starts coming into, you can make some big mistakes. But so then, um, do I like them? That's got to be an important part of it because you've got to like the person. So, you're not factoring it out, but that you're just saying that it's too much, it's weighted too much for yeah, likability? So, so, I mean, the what we're trying to do at Culture Index is the first step is to determine what you need for the role, recruiting for the role, and then you have this pool of applicants that you know already have the traits that you've asked for um, in order to be successful in that role. And so you have, you have this group of people that you're gonna now have come in and go through an interview. Again, you already have the data that supports that they can do the job. Now it's a matter of, okay, going through your interview process and determining if they're going to fit for you. So, so then you for, can play around with your gut a little bit there. So for example, one of the problems is, let's say if I'm not using a diagnostic tool in any way, then I'm just interviewing for skills based on the resume. I interview someone and I like them and they tell me they're detail oriented because I'm maybe framing it in a leading way and then come to find out they're not detail oriented at all. And then I'm struggling with this person for the length of time that they work for me. Is that what happens a lot when people don't use a diagnostic test? Well, well sure. And especially in an interview, um, people always put their best foot forward. So they're going to tell you everything you want to hear. And likely, you know, and if, if they're smart, they've, they've done their research on the back end to determine, okay, what's really expected of me in this role? Uh, what is the company all about? Um, and they've come in and they tell you everything you want to hear and they sound like the perfect person for that role. And then, you know, the honeymoon phase 
ends and you have somebody that can't actually do what they said that they're going to do for you. Yeah. And you put a ton of money into onboarding them and getting them situated in the company just to have it not work. So I think Chris Rock says that when you meet somebody in an interview, you're not meeting them, you're meeting their representative. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> because it, it, if they know what you want and they're trying to please you in the interview process, they're showing you that aspect of themselves. So how do people... How do you prevent people from lying on the diagnostic test? I mean, do people generally lie on that? Is that even an issue? And I think we should go back real quickly because the, the, the process for doing this is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, uh, an applicant will fill out a form and that form will give them, what is it called? Some, uh, the diagnostic, the results, something will give them that. that, the that per, yeah, the profile. The profile. And then it is determined, at least I think the way that we use it, is we determine whether or not that kind of profile is a good fit for that position that we've already defined. And then we, I think, would begin an interview process. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So, taking so, off from there. So, do people tell the truth on those personality tests or do they lie given the role that they, they want the job so bad? Okay. So, okay. So, it really depends. There's a couple things. It depends on how the, uh, the measure is set up. Um, I can't really speak to, you know, what, what our competitors have done, but I know that the way that Culture Index was designed was to eliminate error or statistical error as much as possible. And so when you are taking the Culture Index survey, we do not force you to choose one thing or one item versus the other item. We give you a free choice checklist by which you can then select the various descriptor words that describe you. Um, and also describing what you need to have or what traits you need to be successful in your role. So two questions. Um, and, and what we have found is that when we, when we did the analyses um, to determine our reliability and validity, that that, that is, gives us the strong statistical properties that we have to reduce somebody lying on, on the, the measure. So you don't really know what you're responding to. Yeah, it is amazing because when you have people take it multiple times, it's amazing how it comes out like exactly the same, like yeah. year after year. Well, I think it's amazing that you, you, you know, you agree to take this test. Okay, you're going to take a personality test. And I, of course, was uh, front loaded with Myers-Briggs and a couple of other ones. I thought, okay, well, let's spend some time on this. It's like five minutes a page or 20 minutes. You just check boxes uh, about what, how you would describe yourself. And at the end of it, boop, you get... So you were answer. shocked at how quick it was? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, it was really cool. And it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a miracle. Like how you can do that, that. Check this box, this box, not this one, this one. And it tells you who you are. Like it's even more interesting than the Myers-Briggs approach. Right. So um, it, it should really only take about seven to 10 minutes to, to complete. So, and that was part of the reason you know, the founder, Gary Wallstrom, designed it the way that he did was, you know, who has time to fill out these really long measures. And in addition to that, if you get this really long packet of psychological jar jargon, what manager has time to read those? You know, well, for so, every and how do you execute on it? Well, and this brings up a question because time, uh, whenever we are about to hire somebody or, or an entrepreneur, someone's going to hire somebody. 
you get nervous because there's, there's process that you have to uh, take on to get from, you know, everything from the ad all the way to the onboarding. It's a really big investment in time. Is there any way, of, uh, so you do it just kind of off the cuff and you do it and it takes time and you're scared of it. Is there anything that would say that using a methodology like this or any of your competitors is going to take more time or less time? Is it something to be more afraid of or less afraid of? Well, Gwen, you, you're, you use it all the time. What do you think? I think it makes it go more quickly. So whenever, like, let's say someone quits and you're like freaking out. Um, it makes it go more quickly because it helps you get through that stack of resumes sooner. Yeah, mm -hmm. Now it may take longer because you fall in love with somebody, uh, their resume and you're like, Oh my God, I want them to work out. And then you see that they're completely introverted and you're hiring for someone who's going to be in front of people all day. And then when you get the Stat, the statistical analysis back as a manager, you have to decide, am I going to go with my gut feeling or the data? Now I don't like rules and I don't like things telling me what to do. So I have <laughs> gone with my gut feeling as opposed to the recommendations of the, you know, the outcome of the test and Krista, you know, talking to her about it. And I'm always upset when I do that, but I have done that on occasion. So is that what happens with most people who ignore the results, Krista? They just like fall in love with somebody or it's like their best friend's cousin or something like that. <laughs> they want to hire. <laughs> well, yeah. So ideally what I try to get my clients to do um, is to look at the survey results first because that's, you've already told me that that's what you need. Okay. So why are we going to go back and look at a resume and spend time figuring out who they are on, on things that they've done in the past, but then you have to have your heart broken when you go back and look at the survey results. So why, why not look at the survey results first? And then if, Oh, yay, that's, that's the person that I think that I want. Then you go back and you look at the resume to, you know, further validate that this is someone you want to bring in for an interview. But uh, to your other point, Yes, a lot of my clients continue to fall back to old hiring mistakes and they'll come and they'll tell me, you know, yeah, we ended up taking this person and it didn't work out. So you were right and it's becoming expensive for me to be wrong. So we are actually going to follow the data. And then I'll get a call, you know, a couple months later saying, okay, we have followed the data and you were right. This is exactly what you said was going to happen and what the data said and... So it only takes a couple times that you get burned <laughs> before you start following along. Turns out science is better. It does turn out contrary science is better. to. And then there are some issues too, which I know this is why we use your consultation as well. Is that you know, well, I'll just disclose I have a very dramatic personality profile also known as a bit just kidding <laughs> no a huge just personality kidding. profile so obviously I'm not gonna mesh with everybody so Krista you would look at a manager's profile and then be like this person's not gonna work well under you or that this person wouldn't would work well under you right yeah it's yeah it's all about you know finding a balance of of you know, who thinks like you, um, who you can delegate to. It's, it's all about finding a good balance and really what you need at the time. In the role. 
Right. So, um, why do people, can I just yeah, real quick, right? why do people, uh, tend to fail at their jobs? And what I'm getting at is, is it a dynamic with the boss? Is it the job description itself? Wasn't what it was billed to be? Uh, was it the candidate's abilities at the end of the day? Like, is there anything you can tell us to look out for big picture? Uh, yeah. So it's, if you have, that it, it'll come down to poor fit. Okay. So some, someone's not the right fit. Um, you know, if, so if it's someone that already works for you and you haven't gone through the whole process of looking okay. at their profile, et cetera, then you, you have what you have and, and you've got to, got to work with it or deal with it. However you choose. Um, it also can go back onto the manager. So if you have elevated somebody to a leadership type position that just isn't built to lead people, um, and in addition to that, not given them um, or invested in them to develop them to be able to lead people. Um, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, each a person has their own unique needs in terms of communication, in terms of how they want to be rewarded, how they deal with conflicts, um, how they resolve conflicts. Um, and so if, if a leader doesn't know those things about their employee, then you haven't given them the tools they need to succeed as a leader. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of sense. Um, so that brings up a big point. Um, cause we talk about coaching people in skills like conflict resolution. So is there a personality type conflict resolution is just a huge thing with managing people, but is there a personality type that's better at conflict resolution that you, that you need in a, is there something in the test that tells you that, or is that more of a skill? Is it a personality type or a skill or both? Well, maybe? There there are some like yourself, Gwen, where you you would rather approach conflict and get it kind of figured out rather than sweep it under the table, right? It's not necessarily always comfortable for you, but you'd rather take care of it in the moment than than have it kind of stay with you. Um, there are other people that would prefer to kind of sweep it under the rug because conflict is uncomfortable. And so, um, especially when you have somebody that doesn't like conflict in a leadership position, then it becomes, well, you know, I'll make excuses for this person or I'll do this or I'll do that rather than just approach it head on. So yes, there are certain people who are more uh, uh, approaching of conflict versus some that are more avoidant of conflict. So if that's a cultural desire of my organization, if I'm obsessed with having an organization that identifies problem areas and hashes it out, then I need to hire a different type of person because of my culture as a company. Would you say that's true? Not necessarily, because you can also have, if you have somebody that is in the leadership position, they should be driving that into their direct report. So how do we deal with conflict on this team? This is where, this is how, how we do it. This is a safe, safe space, et cetera, et cetera. The manager should understand what's going on and on his, on in his team, his or her team at all times. Okay. That's the person that should be responsible for coaching conflict resolution into their team. All right. This is bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy. This is Gwen. 
Up next, I'm going to do a little bit of probing about conflict resolution. And something I'm especially interested in understanding is the difference between men and women. Okay. So you'll pick, you can pick this up as if she just finished her question. Okay. And then, you just go and and then you'll cut that out. Yeah, and I'll cut that part out. Okay. So the only thing we need that for is the radio show, but we don't need that if we're doing it's hard, Krista, because right. we're doing this for the radio show and for the podcast, and they're like totally different formats. Mm, okay. So that's why we have to cut for the radio show, but it always sounds weird in the podcast. So we're trying to find a way around. Yeah. Mm. So far, are we so good? Are we good? We are yep. good. Yep. We're, we're just going to go into the next segment. So Jeremy, are you ready to go? Um, but okay, so how do, what do we want to do here? Um, you wanted to talk about conflict more. I wasn't sure where you're going with that. I, well, conflict resolution, I don't know. I can skip that. I just had to say something to move out. But the one I wanted to get to is the men versus women, um, because that was a question that's on there. What else do you want to go over? That's going to be a simple response. Okay. None. Um, no. Okay. There, there is Good. no difference. It, right. it, the difference is in how people perceive Proceed. Hold on. Hold on, because we're going to get this on. We're, we want to Okay. <laughs> I figure out how I'm going to word this just to be yeah. tactful. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. So, no, this is no. Okay. So um, yeah. Question. All right. So, I, you know, over the course of time, this has changed a little bit. But my understanding is that if you're talking to most people, they will tell you that there is a difference between men and women. And, and let me just say this. I read a book here, uh, Gender on the Brain by... I don't, we'll have it in the link. Gender on the Brain. And its argument was essentially that there's almost no difference. If you take the brain out of a female skull and the, uh, out of a male skull, you can't tell the difference because really there isn't much of a difference. Um, but, I, but I think that most people that do hire and think that there is a difference. What is it scientifically, doctor, that uh, the differences between men and women? All of them, throw them at me. What are all the differences? Okay. So uh, there, there is no difference between men and women when it comes to personality traits, okay? The difference is in how people perceive someone's personality traits. So for example, oh. um, a, a male, visionary, dominant personality, mm -hmm. um, confident, direct, assertive, comes off as those things I just said. And a woman Whereas would be a, a woman bitch. That What's that? And a woman would be considered a bitch. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. And not that's a, always. Not always. I'll but. bet you that. No, not always, of course. But yeah, that's the difference. It could be exactly, you could be um, uh, assertive. Well, okay, a guy can do that, and I do think a guy can get away with that, but a female does it, and it looks... Uh, I, I, I well, think you just have to modify the way that you assert, maybe. in my experience. Maybe, but yeah, I think that's a great takeaway. They're really, if you, if you do the personality test, you do not need to take into consideration when you're hiring, for God's sakes, whether it's a man or a woman. It's just the qualities that that person possesses um, in their personality, and of course, their talents. Do you get pushback when you work with people on this that they're sure that there are differences or do they just, I mean, you can't see them. And once you're looking at a bunch of profiles, but does it come up a lot? Actually it doesn't. And, and it's, it's impressive to me that it doesn't. So, um, no, I mean, I mean, 
the bottom line is that traits are genderless and you should always be looking for the right person for the job rather than anything else. Oh, I couldn't agree more. So what about, does personality change uh, over the course of someone's life? It, it does not. So uh, at, at least from the research that, that I'm familiar with, um, personality is stable over time and, and actually is stable around the ages of 8 to 12 years old. Um, there's new research to suggest that it might even be as early as age 5. So you guys have kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have how, a 11 and 12. Oh, almost 13 yeah. and, and 11. Yeah. So. Okay. So they're baked. <laughs> they're, ba- they're not baked. <laughs> but were you able to were you able to see some of their individual characteristics when they were five, six, seven? Absolutely. Yes, for oh, sure. Yeah, when they were five, six, seven, about then it starts to kind of come up. Yep. I yeah, I, I definitely think that you kind of know the child. I mean, I would say even earlier you could see some distinct characteristics, but I think for the ones that we're looking at here probably about six or seven for both of them. It was pretty obvious. So, okay. So over the course of time, personalities don't change much, but what about major life events or, or uh, additional stressors, uh, parents dying or, uh, children going off to college? Are there events in a, in a person's life that might cause them to not act the way that their profile might uh, indicate? Yes. And, that's and if, you take, if you take a test during that time frame, does it change it? Yeah. Two part that's question. a really good question. Okay. So yes, there are a couple factors that will change personality or affect results on some sort of personality measure. So what we do know is that um, being in an active phase of mental illness, so anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, being in an active phase of a mental illness can change the results um, on, on, any, on any personality measure, okay? okay. Um, chemical dependency, whether it's in a, uh, a, acute or chronic, it can, change, it can physiologically change your brain and thus change personality. In addition to that, we know that intoxication can you know, change the way that people are behaving in the moment. So someone takes the survey while they're intoxicated. I can't tell you if that's really who the person is. Has that happened? Well, I'm sure when people take it at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, while they're searching for jobs with the beer in their hand, I'm sure it would impact it a a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, continue. Um, (laughs) What else? Oh, any kind of um, medical ailment that would affect the brain or the, or the portions of the brain that are responsible for uh, personality. Um, and then post-traumatic stress disorder, whether it's mm-hmm. acute or chronic, um, any kind of trauma can affect personality. So, so that's where if, if I'm doing a personality test on someone one year and then I, we always follow them up every year, uh, then that, and I see a dramatic change in the top, the top graph, which is your personality, which is embedded in you, then it may be one of those those things that's the cause. Would that be your go-to assumption? Yeah, yes. Um, it's really, really rare. For I mean, at least I've been with the company since 2013. And 
I don't even know if I could count on one hand that that, that happening. It just doesn't happen. Um, can it? Yes. But most of the time you're going to see stressors happen in the bottom graph, which is their behavioral modification of whatever's happening in their environment in the current moment. That's where you're going to see shifts um, related to just, you know, things that are going on in their life right now. Um, that's that snapshot in time. But uh, I just haven't seen, or at least I haven't, no one's said anything about, yeah, well, I know that this person was intoxicated when they took the survey. I just, I just haven't. They just that. happen to always be stoned. No. Or something. <laughs> well, there's that too. Well, yeah. So um, are some, you know, in any job, like let's say you have an introverted person and they have a job that requires them to be extroverted. Um, I know in our conversations together, we call that modifying your personality. So everyone has some ability to modify what they naturally are. It's just that it takes maybe some people more energy to be something that they're not. Can you just speak to how people modify their personality and what the costs are? Yeah, sure. So you're right. We, we all can modify our behavior to meet the demands of the environment. Okay. It's just that we cannot sustain them for long periods of time without feeling mental stress. Okay. And mental stress we know leads to lots of issues, not just in, in the workplace, but outside of the workplace, medically, et cetera. Right. So um, we, we want to try to manage stress as much as possible. Um, what was the second part of your question? So just when people are modifying their personality, what are the costs associated with that? So like if I'm, if I'm in the wrong role as a, as a person and I'm just constantly having to be something that I am just not naturally, what costs, what does it cost me personally? And what, what costs um, will the business feel because I'm in the wrong role? Okay. Um, and so, so, yeah, the, uh, the other part you had asked earlier was about how long can someone sustain that? Oh, sure, sure. And exactly. that really depends on, we, we measure something called mental stamina or energy units, and that's really someone's ability to, or the length of time they can act out of character before needing to recharge their batteries or before they need a mental break. And so the bigger their battery is, the longer they can act outside of character. Okay, but um, but the costs, like I said before, are are your it, it might be costing you money because you might be having somebody not in the right role. Um, it it costs them. They're they're you know they might be calling in sick to work more. They might be coming disengaged. They might be coming a cultural issue. Um, it 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 will all lead to problems that are going to cost you money by keeping the wrong person in the wrong seat. And they can also lead to accidents, right? Like, especially in our industry of property management, we worry about safety because we deal with uh, people in, you know, trades and getting hurt on the job site. That's one of the things I, I remember is that if people are in the wrong fit and they're having to be something that they're not, they're more likely to get in accidents. Is that a, tr yeah, a true thing? Yeah, good. It can lead to all kinds of um, maladaptive behavior. So um, there's obviously this component that that like we're using, and I, I want to make sure 
make clear we are not, this is not an advertisement, um, but we use culture index. Um, and it's a very important part of what we do to try to find the right people for the right seats in our buses, right? But there must be a role for the interview itself. So what are the things that during a normal interview you can pick up on um, that you can't pick up on for, and that need to be taken into consideration that we can't pick up on in, in some sort of uh, test like this? Um, well, like we talked about earlier, the, the first part of that is, is having your data set or who the person is, and then you're using the interview to determine of that pool of people that you know are the right fit, which is going to be the right one for you. So um, I personally prefer more structured, structured, guided interviews that you can score people on because again it goes back to science and data and the more consistent you can be with your interview questions the better you're asking the same people the same questions so you don't have any kind of internal biases coming into play um but you know you're, you're trying to figure out if they're going to work for you and, and why they want to work for you okay what are they bringing to the table so th those are the things that i find most important in addition maybe cultural fit um i had a situation once where um i had a client hiring for a director of sales um and it was in the farming industry and they had two candidates both had the exact same profile met their met their benchmark to a t one was you know a, a texas good old boy and the other one was, you know, a hotshot from Chicago that, that worked in corporate America. And those were their, their final two candidates. So which one was the right choice? Right. The company is a farming company, probably Texas oh. good old boy. Yeah. They went with the other one. And, and did, it, it, did it work out? No, it showed right away. Okay. Oh, they, they, they went with the wrong one. Did I hear that right? Yeah, they, they went, went wrong. And, then they're like, oh, and they could tell right away. Um. So the Peter principle is the principle that you elevate people to their highest level of incompetence. Um, this happens a lot because people, okay, you know the personality of the people that you work with, but you fall in love with somebody. What are, I mean, do you see that a lot where people are elevated to a role that they just can't manage or can you train them up to that position? I mean, how much of this is nature versus nurture? Yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, I see that all the time. Um, and, it, and again, it, it goes back to you've now set them up for failure. It's not that they have, they have done something wrong, um, but, but you have elevated them to that, that position. And so um, it's really important to be having conversations with your employees about what, what really is their um, – desire to move up into either management or, or wherever you're going to put them um, and just and just trying to figure out what 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 their motivations are um, and and this is something that you can determine uh, if you're paying attention to the data that we're giving you and you're having conversations with your consultant about can this person do this should we do that um, and it's it's again it's never a one-size-fits-all so it really determines it really uh, depends on what you want them to do. Um, and being mindful of when their performance slips that you then jump in, 
you know, and cover for them or, or fix the problem that you've created and, and put them back to where they're more comfortable. Not everybody is designed to do this. Some people it's best to promote this way. Okay, there are a lot, there are a lot, ways you, a lot of different ways you can compensate people or promote people that, that doesn't include moving on. So do you, uh, like with sales roles, you'll look at a pers personality profile and it will be like your top salesperson and people always want to put those people in a management role, but it doesn't work. So is that something that you can see in a personality test that this person's not going to be a fit for management? Yes, yes, they're a number one salesperson, but that doesn't mean they can manage other salespeople. Yeah. And, th and then think about what you've done. You've taken this person's livelihood and, and basically made them Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? <laughs> How boring is it to be in that, in that management seat uh, when you wanna be out there hunting? Yeah, so, so those are some of the mistakes that people can avoid if they're really homing in on the true personality of their employees. Well, and it kinda, I know that whenever we've hired, um, I, I, whenever you've got, okay, whenever um, we're hiring somebody, if we define the seat really well, sometimes and uncomfortably, um, it looks like the manager's not actually the person that should be in that seat. And I think that's a harder thing to, like, if you're starting to define your company and you know what this person is supposed to be doing and the, 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 the access you have to people around you that have been with you for a long time isn't adequate to manage that kind of personality or that kind of a position, it starts to bubble up and that's when management gets really hard. Do you have those hard conversations with owners of companies that well, yeah. maybe? Yeah, because, because again, it goes back to um, you've done them a disservice by putting them there, okay? And it, it, nobody wants to wake up in the morning and fail and know they're going to work to fail or, or, or not work up to their full potential. And so you've actually taken something away from them by keeping them in that role. Okay. They could be better um, used somewhere else. It doesn't mean you have to let them go per se. It just is that's not the right place for them. And their best life might very well be with another company. And if it is somebody you care about and you love uh, and you've worked with for years, it, while it is very hard to accept that, sometimes that's the direction you kind of have to come up with and, and, right. and move and then forward. You, and then you let them go with dignity and you have right. an exit interview with them and you give them a glowing reference. And sometimes people outgrow companies and companies outgrow people. Boy, that's a So I have a question really quick because I know we yeah. have to go to a break, but um, when you have someone that you've elevated to a position that they're not competent for, or it's a bad fit, do you ever recommend demoting or is that a moment where they have to go somewhere else? Do you have a perspective on that? Um, I don't typically give that kind of <laughs> <laughs> Does it ever work out? Does it ever work out that you do demote them and it still works? Um, I mean, I don't, I would never call it a demote. I would find another, another way to make it sound like a sweet deal. And <laughs> you know, that would, that would be how I would approach it. Um, I wouldn't use demote, but I don't know what, I mean, I guess I don't really get involved in that conversation. Okay. All right. Uh, really quickly, it's probably a yes or no, but does the uh, 
your tool work independent of the country that somebody's in or the culture that they uh, work in? So uh, are you talking about like language wise? Language and uh, even just, I, because in a lot of countries, especially third world countries, my experience is, I hate that word, but um, people are protecting their downside and they, they adapt um, their personalities a little bit to, to try to put out their best face forward for what it is the job um, is looking for. So I don't know. Well, we found that other, you know, there are some personality profiles that are culturally biased. So and this one, well, my experience, so I'm going to answer this question, Krista, because I use it all the time, but I don't, I find that the way that it's asked where it's just questions about your personality um, make it not a culturally biased approach. Whereas when I looked at other personality profiles, I would have eight people with totally different personalities that you could just see with by their resume or by interviewing them. And they all would come back with the same personality profile. Yeah. So yeah. there are cu culture biases and that's important to know if you're going to be hiring outside of the United States, not all tests will give you the results that you're looking for. Um, because of that. So Krista, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, well, I mean, they can contact you. Um, <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn um, or email. My email is kpeterson at cultureindex.com. Excellent. Dr. Krista Peterson with Culture Index. Thanks a whole Thank bunch for Thank you so much in. for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you Have for having me. All right. Take care. So Dr. Peterson, that was that was enlightening. It's such an important part of what we do, and and there's a science to it. Yeah. When we go into business, it's always so hard to know, especially when you're at your own business, what you're supposed to do to hire people. I like, know it, it, it sucks. Um, I thought the answer to gender, you know, what it, what's the difference between um, men and women? Because it is counterintuitive, and I know that um, in casual conversations I've had with friends, but also casual conversations with um, people in business, they, people believe that women are more detail oriented. They believe that women are more organized and they believe that women are more creative. And if I'm going off that book, gender on the brain, it's just not true. Personalities are, uh, they rise above sex. They're just a part of the brain an organ of the body. And, and it's more the perception rather than and that. It's kind of, uh, what's that called? The observer effect in physics, mm -hmm. where if you actually see the experiment, if you, then it itself alters uh, the reality a little bit. But so, uh, oh, and also that five and six-year-olds, like that's when a personality is formed and it sounds like it moves all the way through life for- Pretty much the same personality. In, unless there's some certain circumstances that pop up. Um, but you've been using Anaquim for- sure. pfft, You've been using Culture Index uh, for like year, three, three years. years now. So, all right, what are the, what's it helped you do? What's the practical? The practical application. One is there are some personalities that just really aren't meant to lead. And especially when I work with people day in, day out, I just get obsessed with certain people and I want them to rise to the highest leadership role because I just adore them so much. But um, the culture index has helped me find ways that we can increase their responsibility without them managing people if that's not what they're good at. So that has been a huge thing because I think I would have um, increased people's responsibility, put them in a position that they were going to fail at. And 
to my last question, I don't believe you can demote people. I think if you if you put them in a position that they can't succeed in, most of the time the right course of action is to find a different place for them. And so it's really important for me if I'm responsible for people to put them in a place that will or in a position that will work for their personality. The the other thing that I would say is that um, we use it at every annual review to make sure that they're not modifying their personality too much for the current role they're in. So what that's helped us do is have conversations we can't have any other way. People might, um, they might respond to a survey. Oh yeah, I love my job. It's great. It's perfect. And then you get the results back and you're like, there's no way you love your job. You have to be someone that you totally are not to be good at this role. How do we modify the role to work with your personality? How do we make sure we manage your stress level? Cause this is, it's clearly extremely stressful for people to be something that they're not. Or should we put you somewhere else that is a better match? So it's really changed the way that we manage people long-term. Okay. So what about the employer? So, and we didn't ask this, and I should have asked this, this process, you're hiring somebody, you test the employee or the applicant and the manager? Like they're hiring, yes. how does that work? So um, that really, you have to be pretty good at the culture index and that's kind of to, to really be able to manage those personalities. There are some obvious ones, like if you have a demure uh, manager, maybe in accounting, and then you've got some super aggressive personality that applies for the accounting job, they're not going to work well underneath the demure person. So there are some things that are super obvious, but that's where the consultation comes in um, and where the art really is in creating an accountability chart with the right people underneath the right managers. And I suppose it is important to say th that it's not perfect. There, I mean, you can't find a perfect solution to finding the right people all the time but it is markedly different now. It's way better. I, I would say, it, no, nothing ever in life is perfect. This is, is I, I would say, if you follow the rules. <laughs> Which she has a problem with sometimes. I have a problem with that. Then that's when it, if you follow the rules, you will do better at hiring. All right, so now you're a better manager. Now you're a better hiring manager. Uh, this is Bootstrappers. We will see you next week. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers. Bootstrappers.